Wednesday, December the 14th. This is the Soccer OG World Cup Daily, a very special day because now we know the identity of the two World Cup finalists. For the neutrals and for so many more, a close to dream final. We didn't get Argentina, Brazil. We didn't get Ronaldo Messi, but we're getting France, Argentina, reigning champs versus the resurgent power. You are getting Europe versus the Americas. You're getting Messi versus Mbappe. So a lot to be excited about. And although I'm not really crazy about third place games, two countries that did so well playing for something in Qatar, Morocco and Croatia, it's a little bit better third place game than we are accustomed to it. But enjoy it. It's two games remaining and we are done. And then we uh, have a little break for the holidays and then we are back with the European Soccer Leagues. A reminder, the Soccer OG World Cup Daily is available where all podcasts are found. Make sure you start your day, get in your car, take a listen, listen to my dulcet tones, and we give you all the information. You also check us out here on YouTube, on my YouTube channel. Here are my social media handles. We'll go Salt Bay on those. Check them out. We give you an extra layer of coverage. We are presented by the fine folks at Farmer John. Get your day started with a delicious breakfast. And remember, this weekend, early kickoffs for the third place game in the final, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. So get your breakfast in. You have it with some Farmer John. Nice and salty, tasty. Remember, it makes the house smell great. Some of the fine products that you will find in your ghost grocery aisle. So we, uh, we also have a very special guest, my... Uh, Podcast made on the LAFC side, Vince LaRosa, who works for 110 Football, will join me. We'll have that interview in a little bit. Vince is a very thoughtful person. He's not here for a hot take. He watches the game. He studies the game. And I think he's uh, he's just wonderful in the way he interprets it. So stick around. We'll talk about the final. We'll talk about the U.S. men's national team and a great many things. So we have a lot of ground to cover. We have a busy show. We're going to make these shows as busy as possible, so stick here. We're here for the duration throughout the remainder of the World Cup. We will talk about France-Morocco. What an incredible game. You know, we thought France had to win to make a good final, but after watching Morocco play this game, plus the Portugal game, plus the Spain game, maybe they had a shot in the final. They really put their best foot forward. I was really impressed with Morocco. Alas, they gave up an early goal, but we'll get into the details there. I did want to talk about another big story breaking here in the American soccer circles, and that is that ESPN ending their relationship with MLS. MLS is going to Apple TV next season. All games will be uh, available there. MLS was trying to get some partners on the linear side. They did carve out something on a smaller degree with Televisa Univision, no longer with Tudene, and they're no longer with ESPN. They will have a relationship with Fox, so they have that. Maybe there are some relationships somewhere else. It's important for the uh, for Major League Soccer as they don't have local broadcasts anymore, and a lot of people don't have Apple TV, so you've got to be present there. It's important, at least for now, to do that. 27 years. MLS was on ESPN. They broadcast the very first game. I was watching the footage there. You could see Ty Keogh and Phil Shane. I wonder what Ty Keogh is these days. We always enjoyed that. And ESPN took MLS when it was starting. Startup league. Right after the 94 World Cup. Knew it was going to have some growing pains. Knew it wasn't going to be a lot of money invested. They only had two or three ownership groups. 
you know, the Anschutz and the Hunts, and they own all the teams. And we didn't know if there was a future. And ESPN shouldered that and made sure there was regular coverage. And they gave a good spot for it, by and large. So, uh, tremendous people <coughs> involved with that coverage, including yours truly. I was at ESPN for nine years. Got to uh, be involved with uh, the MLS package and from Phil Shane to Ty Keogh to uh, uh, all the people that were able to cover it. I'm forgetting all the names. Uh, JP Della Camera, obviously. A lot of people who weren't involved in soccer. Remember, they were the big business of World Cups and Euros. Those big tournaments are now with Fox. And ESPN is really out of the soccer business. Because they have ESPN Plus, they have La Liga and the Bundesliga. Some of those games make it on the linear side. And that's about it, really. They have ESPN FC, which is a phenomenal show and does very well for their streaming service. But it doesn't really make the airwaves anymore. Soccer has been put away in that little streaming cupboard. And look, ESPN's great. And look, I always sing the praises of the quality of the broadcast. And John Champion and Taylor Twelman, to me, as good as it gets covering MLS. Uh, I, you know, I can certainly take a stake in that as well as we saw Major League Soccer grow with the league. And 27 years is a long time. So how do we look at it? Well, it was obviously an important relationship and a, a, a relationship by necessity. And as we move towards this new era with Apple TV, we wonder, you know, people are panicking. What are we, what's the league going to do without ESPN? Well, I am here to tell you first, as we look at ESPN, ESPN is the worldwide leader of sports. They can make anything they want feel big with all the shows and all the production and all the resources they have. Case in point, the Little League World Series. It used to be one game. ESPN got all the Williamsport games and made this an international event, showing game after game after game, promoting it on SportsCenter, promoting it on all their morning shows. The Women's College World Series, you didn't even notice it. And then this softball tournament gets huge numbers because ESPN cares about it. They show game after game, they'll cut it away, promote it, promote it. X Games. The list goes on and on. WNBA has become a big business because ESPN pushes it. We get to know about the athletes. We have access to the athletes because the WNBA is a partner for ESPN. And when it is a partner for ESPN, they push it and they make stars and the numbers get better and there is ESPN sitting very pretty because they can make anything big. But why did they not do it for Major League Soccer? Ever. They never did it. They never tried. So I'm here to tell you that uh, MLS is not going to really miss ESPN because they were not a good partner at the end of the day. They tucked MLS away in the corner. They never got the audience excited about the teams or the players. They never did features. They didn't just try. They didn't. I worked there for nine years. And I remember when I was working on SportsCenter, I would say, I understand we can't, there's a one hour show. We cannot commit a lot of resources on soccer. So I did a little segment called Bend It Like Bretos. And I said, I will put a couple MLS highlights and I'll promote the game for tomorrow on there. I would do the package, couple hours of work, end of the day, they say, ah, we can't make the show, sorry, something happened. So I'm sitting there at the end of the show, seeing mine, 
my idea get thrown to the edit room floor and I'm sitting there doing Buffalo Sabre Washington Capitol highlights. And I'm going, hmm. all right, well, we got the hockey highlight in. But MLS, no. And this is when NHL was not a partner of ESPN. It was not a partner. It was on NBC. So uh, that made it very difficult. I knew producers there, they get less and less resources that they finally said, I'm not doing MLS anymore. It, got, it was like that office space where they had the employee, was it Sheldon? He goes, keep going further into the corner. That was MLS at ESPN. Forever. No one cared. If I was in charge of ESPN and we had a property like MLS, I would tell our employees, I don't care if you like this or not, watch it, learn it, find ways for us to promote it because we are in the business of MLS and we have a, an ability to amplify it. Never happened. Here's another great example. ESPN would show the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. They made the competitors their household names. People shoving copious amount of hot dogs in their gullet. And we knew about Kobayashi and we knew about Joey Chestnut and they gave them the red carpet treatment. Maybe people would watch that anyway, but ESPN made such a big deal about it, people tuned in. Did MLS get an even a sliver of that attention? Never. And I'm not here to sit here and cry for MLS, but you need better partners. You need partners that truly care about your product. And hopefully Apple TV is that. ESPN never was. So while it's sad to see it go, in the big picture of things, it's not a bad thing. You're worried because you're losing ESPN, but maybe you'll find someone else down the road that truly cares and will make uh, Diego Fagundes the next Joey Chestnut. Don't even get me started on the hot dog eating contest. That was the final punch in the stomach. And you know what, Taylor Twellman and John Champion, if they were here and I know they can't say anything, they'd probably agree with me. ESPN failed Major League Soccer and that is that. I felt good to say that. That felt good to say that. Hopefully I can bring Bennett like Bretos back again. And you look at all these other channels, they're really pushing. They're pushing their soccer properties. And we'll see if Apple TV does that. Let's get to the game of France and Morocco. France de Morocco zero. This was a, a really bizarre game and I loved it because we've heard all tournament long and I've told you about it, how Morocco don't want the ball. They don't want the ball. They were hovering around 30% possession throughout this competition. And at the beginning of this game, France did something very interesting, which we kind of talked about yesterday. They said, Morocco, you don't want the ball? We don't want the ball either. And Morocco's like, oh, they're in their final third, but passing it around going, oh, you guys want this ball? Do you? We don't really want it. And France like, eh, sorry. Didier Deschamps with a master stroke and Morocco were not quite ready for it. And then they realized they had to attack. They had to get into the French half and they were starting to do some nice things. And then suddenly ball bounces, horrible bounce. Morocco, make, they take a big risk, unable to clear it. Griezmann gets in there and then uh, Teo Hernandez with uh, the goal. Was it like five minutes in and just like that? For the first time in the competition, Morocco was trailing. First time they gave up a goal to an opponent 
They allowed one goal in the tournament. It was an own goal. And now Morocco had to go for it. And they did. They pulled Romain Saiz, who was carrying an injury. They started the game with a 5-4-1. They brought in a midfielder, so they went more 4-2-4-5-1. Ziyech came up a little bit. And Morocco, now with already a lot of possession, had to really go for it. And they did. There were uh, a couple good chances for the French there in that uh, first half. We saw Olivier Giroud had a, had, could have had two goals. He had that one hit the post. But then Morocco really pushed. We had that spectacular a bicycle kick that uh, would have bought the house down. would have been one of the great goals. El Yamik uh, at least showed their intentions. And more and more pressure. Morocco finished with 62% possession. Second half, they were throttling the French. They were getting after them. Beautiful football. We saw, and uh, Hugo Loris, the French goalkeeper, said, we suffered a lot, especially in the second half. We played too deep, showed the team is not focused on defending when he was talking about Morocco, which is something Didier Deschamps said there. He said they wouldn't have made a semifinal if they were just defending. And we saw fantastic play. Sofian Amrabat in the middle of that park, to me, was the best player on the field. Uh, he got the Moroccan attack going. He had this, Kylian Mbappe went on this incredible run. He chased him down, full-blooded tackle in his defensive third, won the ball and came back. So many other guys were applying that pressure. Remember, this was a bit of a mash unit for Morocco as they were struggling to get it. Uh, Hakimi and Ziyech all got involved. El Nezri, who had to come out, uh, was okay. Amrabat, again, was, to me, fantastic. And they were unlucky. I'm surprised they didn't get a goal. They looked like they were poised to get a goal. And uh, the early goal, which wasn't the worst thing. They scored early. They didn't give up another goal. And they were in this game until an incredible moment by Kylian Mbappe where he got in the area. The Moroccan defenders all converged on him. He played it out. And Randall Colomuani, who was one of only two subs to come to the game for France, Tucked it away, and that was that. Two zero France, and they will go to back to back World Cup finals. And they have won it twice. What was it? They've been there in '98. They were there in 2006. It's their fourth final. France is the real deal, baby. This is a world power, maybe the world power right now, surpassing other countries like Italy and Germany uh, in this modern game. And they are looking, uh, when you look at what they are attempting to do, we, we said that there has been back-to-back winners in the 30s and the 60s. This is a team, uh, France, the first defending champ to reach a final in two decades. So uh, they're breaking new ground. And in 2022, it's really hard to do this because the game has been raised all over. That's how we have an African team, uh, a team like Croatia in the semifinals. So France will move on to face Argentina. We'll have plenty of time to preview that game. Before we get into that, I want to talk big picture with France. This is the second game I have seen them play where they were not the better team. I thought England looked better, and then I thought Morocco looked better. I think this was a game, it was a case of the way France wanted to address it. It got the results, and that's what good teams do. They're too deep. They are too... uh, They're flexible, diverse in so many ways that Morocco or Croatia against Argentina just can't compete with that. The cream rises to the top, as whoa, Macho Man used to say. It's true. I'm a little worried about the final for the French because Argentina are getting better 
every game. France are not. And it doesn't matter. It's one game and anything can happen. We've seen the weird bounces of the ball. Argentina and France both benefited from that. They both had good fortune in the semifinals. If one of these teams have bad luck, that may determine it. But you have to really assume Argentina is a clear favorite with the play of Messi, with the emergence of Julian Alvarez, with the fact that they have those great wide players. France, I mean, I thought Aurelian Schuameni and Yusuf Fofana were great. Schuameni is making people forget about Paul Pogba. He was one of the better players. Griezmann was really handy coming in and out. Nothing really spectacular. I see a lot of people singing the praises of Griezmann and I'm like, eh. He was good. You saw the attack. It Dembele, Griezmann, uh, Mbappe. Mbappe, again, was okay, but not like we saw him earlier in the tournament. And then Giroud, who was very good. And uh, probably seems like he has another goal in him in this tournament. But Griezmann got the man of the match, and he was, he was, he was all right. But, I, I mean, I'm not singing the praises of it. Good performance. But no one really should be thrilled about the way they played. They got through this game in a game that many thought should have been much easier for the French. But there we have it. Hats off to Morocco. They made Africa proud. They made the Arab nations proud. And they gave us something different in this World Cup, which for me as a fan is the good stuff. And we'll get ready for France-Argentina. It's going to be a crazy couple days. We'll see what happens. But this is what we want as the neutrals. And we have a decent third place game as well. Did I catch everything? I just don't know. I mean, there's... It's, it was, uh, we, we, we didn't have to deal too much with the political angles, but it was certainly there. More on that final. We have some cool stuff coming up this week, but coming up next, my interview with Vince LaRosa of 110 Football. We talk about the final. We talk about the U.S. men's national team. We talk about the coverage of the World Cup, what was good, what was not so good. We talk about the fact that Drew Fisher was mentioned 600 times during this broadcast. The VAR official for Major League Soccer. And then, and then, and so much more. The World Cup, baby. Enjoy the final few days. Soccer OG World Cup Daily. We'll be back with Vince LaRosa after this. We're back here on the Soccer OG World Cup Daily. And thrilled to welcome in my good friend of 110 Football, Vince LaRosa. We also do the LAFC podcast together. So, uh... We, we, we will finish each other's sentences, but we get it. I mean, I know we've built up almost the whole month of this World Cup, and now we get to let it all out. Well, you, you built up this whole month of the World Cup for me to finally join, which I, I get to use. I haven't had a my... lot of guests. I've been I've just been yapping. So I figured people go a little less bread off. Let's bring some guests in to kind of change the uh, the tenor a bit. Well, I mean, a little less bread us right now. I mean, let me just like hoot and holler about how I'm like the most important guest leading up to the final. And then you go ahead and just nix it. Thanks a lot. And I was going to say, I get to use one of my favorite world, words in the English language. I'm like your penultimate guest, right? Because this is the lead up to the final. So you penultimate. Know the word, we might have like two more guests. Penultimate is a great word to use if you're doing like broadcast, right? Right. So well, this is a Wednesday. I still have to do a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and possibly a Monday show. What are you going to do? There's no games. What are you going to do? I don't know. Well, I'm going to do an all-tournament team. I'm going okay. to do a, what everyone else is doing, a 26-man roster for 2026, which will be null and void in six months. Wow. But, uh, yeah. Don't give in, Bredos. But you know in. what, Vince? It's it's interesting because from the obviously this podcast and this simulcast, it's a lot more interesting when we're doing American soccer terms. 
even though my Lionel Messi and Kylian Mbappe and uh, Amrabat and Ashraf Hakimi takes are very good, uh, they would rather just hear my Christian Pulisic or Gio Reyna, Greg Berhalter takes. And you know what? Every couple of days you get a big story, even though like Greg Berhalter and Gio Reyna is not really a big story. It was good to talk about day. You got to let go of it after a bit. It's kind of. Yeah. Your world, your world football takes are good, but you're right. There's so much out there. There's so much not out coming, there. They're not coming to us for those world football takes, but Hey, we're smart. Come yeah. <laughs> hey, now that I talk about it, the, the presentation of the U S how have you seen, how have you seen it? We had this World Cup campaign, and uh, they met expectations. They had some nice moments, got some results. But it seems like everything is under the microscope. Tactics, uh, coaching, leadership, selections. And it was like, I got a headache after the end of it. Same. I mean, but in some ways, it's nice. Like you said, like we're not because usually talking. Yeah, the people care. And we're not usually able to get into this kind of minutia. And you know me being a soccer nerd. I'm like, oh, I love it. But it's like... I wish I would have maybe canceled my Twitter before uh, the World Cup and just watch the games because honestly, the U.S. were compelling. They were really fun to watch. They were interesting. And what's crazy is anyone that's not like an, a U.S. fan or or you know in the United States, a lot of people were saying nice things about the U.S. team. And for all those people like clowning on on Greg Berhalter and being like, "Oh, you came in here and the first thing you said was to change the perception of the U.S. team around the world," kind of did. Kind of yeah, people did. noticed. Like, yeah, there was there when the big time when like the big baller tactics writers were writing about the U.S. Not only were they saying nice things, but they were writing about the U.S., which is like again bananas. It was an afterthought, and uh, I, I thought the coaches. I mean, it could be just lip service, but all the coaches that the USA played and, uh, had something good to say about the program, about the players, about the coach. Right. I mean, maybe that's Gareth Southgate or Louis Van Hall just being respectful. But I think there was a little bit more to it. I think people take notice. And I think a lot of uh, people take notice that it was a young team and a lot of these young players were able to have their moments, whether it was Pulisic or, or Dest or Musa, Tyler Adams. I mean, people, they, the global audience were becoming fans of individuals, if not the way the U.S. were. I truly believe that. I know a thing or two about Louis Van Hall. And one thing I know about him is he is not respectful just to be respectful. <laughs> Sorry, you're very true. I mean, he took a shot at Greg about the tactics and how he kind of played nope. into his hands. No, he, but he didn't, though. Remember, that was yes. a snippet. And then the longer yeah. version of it was kind of like, it was really a pat on the back. It was actually one of the nicer things I've ever heard a coach say about a U.S. Uh, coach. Like, he really laid it out there and was like, look, when you're a big team, you're not going to change. And maybe that plays into the hands of a Louis Van Hall. But again, we're talking about a man that, uh, and I've told you this off air, I'm going to put him in the top three of the most influential coaches in the past 30 years, easily. Mount Rushmore guy, huh? Yeah, <laughs> Netherlands, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Ajax. Like, the guy's Manchester done United. Eh. Well, he was there. No, I mean, he, he actually, to be honest, he he put them on a better trajectory than what maybe they currently are. True. So, uh, hold on a moment. This is I'm breaking the fourth wall, but I have to close yes, this window. This is crazy. This is crazy. I don't want that. There we go. Yeah, I'm not going to re-edit this because we're in the Good. midst of a conversation. But there we go. Got that. Because I'm going to guess all the all the other guests you had were you know of a different ilk of than myself, and that's okay. I can I can make fun of myself, but that's why I love when I come on. You get to be yourself, Max. You don't have to be so professional. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, excited about the U.S. program moving forward, regardless of what the leadership looks like. It's a, it's a. I mean, look how dire it was four years ago. We didn't get to talk about this team, and it's a it's a deep pot of 
talent and mm -hmm. stories. And if you look deeper, there's going to be a lot more coming through the pipeline in these years ahead. Yeah, I mean, count them with me. I, look, we'll do a little bit of your 2026 team right here. Matt Turner, probably on the team, maybe even a starter still. Both fullbacks, Dest and Robinson, could probably be starters. Uh, that midfield, okay, now we're at... That's not going anywhere. We're at six guys total, and then Pulisic, Wea, like, the starting 11 is basically in place. And what's exciting is if someone breaks through that starting 11, they're better than those guys. Yeah. How awesome is that? Like, we used to just be like, yeah, we got four or five guys. They're okay. And then everyone else, they're guys. They're dudes. Uh, so I think that that's very exciting. And honestly, that's really what the U.S. needs. I think the biggest Achilles heel of the U.S. in this tournament was the fact that they had no depth. Uh, we love our guy, Kellen Acosta, first guy off the bench. But then after Kellen, boom, like a really steep drop. Um, and I think what you're seeing from, like, especially a France team, who France comes into this and at times have has missed Rabio. Benzema, uh, Upamecano. Uh, I mean, the, it, the list goes on and on, but every guy they seem to bring in, maybe a lesser known name, but at least the quality yeah. stays about the same. U.S., to be a truly great team, I think and as we've seen soccer evolve, they'll have to reach those heights. They're not there. Not many teams are. Um, but I think, it, like I said, it will be exciting because whoever makes it into the team has shown that they deserve to break into to that level, and that'll be good for the team as a whole. Yeah, you made a good point. You have like eight guys there. So the two center backs, and there's some good young center backs that were injured, Chris Richards and Miles mm -hmm. um, Robinson and Austin Trusty, who looks like he's on a rocket ship. And they just got to get it forward in there. You have it. And then you get the depth. Yeah. And we'll, we'll see about Gio Reyna. Who knows what Mark McKenzie's like going into the future. Yeah. I mean, center backs are guys that. There's look, a lot of good competition. Yeah, you got, you got Guardiola, who's 20. He's like 20 years old. So obviously everyone is loving that Croatian kid, although he got beat by Messi. Although what, what are you going to do? You get beat by Messi. Um, but center backs usually 26, 27 is their peak. So guys still have time uh, to make it. I think it's very exciting for this team. I, I was looking at that Messi. I don't, I, I was looking at Guardiola. I, there's, I didn't think what else he could possibly do other than just get off his feet and slide in there. I mean, he's going to be like posterized eternally because of that play. But I was looking at go, Messi just played it perfectly. Maybe yeah. you force him to his left. I, I just don't know how you do it. Messi put himself in a position where he couldn't be moved. And he went I right think there. the only thing, and then, but get this, the guy ran 50 yards, 50, 60 yards with Messi. So he's probably not in the right mind state to all of a sudden break this down like, like yeah. a robot. But I think the only thing you could really say is when Messi turns, and looks like he's going back the other way. Don't bite so hard on that because if he's going back the other way, you're okay with it. But he does now. Then Messi rounds the corner. But you're right. He played it. He played, ran with him step for step. And I guess maybe the only only other thing you can say is I don't know, foul him thirty yards from goal. But why would you ever think that something was going to happen in that instance? Yep, indeed. And uh, well, now we have. A, how's your bracket looking? I have Argentina in the final. Who did you have them playing? I had the worst. I had the worst selections I've ever had for a World Cup. I had Uruguay, I had Uruguay beating uh, France in the semis. Yeah, Uruguay Argentina final. Yeah. Oh, I took I my said, hat off you for going after. I better than my Spain Denmark final. Oh yeah, a little bit better. I think I, a little. Look, bit. you have you you got to go somewhere. I liked Spain too a lot too. I was actually when you had when I saw your bracket when you first done it, I was like, Spain's yeah. good. I, I I can see that because I was like, there's going to be some kind of surprise, and there really and there was. was. We just got you. It's impossible to figure out which one it's going to be. Yeah. Is it going to be Croatia? Is it going to be Morocco? Who knew? But uh, we did have uh, we did have surprises. And but now we get this great final. Are you? I mean, are you excited? France 
Argentina, I mean, I'm thinking of the the better games you could have had. Probably Argentina-Portugal would have got the blood boiling a little bit. If we had mm-hmm. that Argentina-Brazil semifinal, that would have probably superseded it. Argentina is the common ingredient, regardless of whatever it is. But Did France, want- reigning champ. And, then you have, and I like the fact that it's not two European teams. Yeah, I think that's important here. I do. I think that's important. No, this is a great final. I mean, did you want Argentina, Portugal? Because then all we're just going to hear is the, the conversation about two players who probably Messi definitely would have helped his team get there. Ronaldo's not helping his team actually get to the final, but that's all we would have heard. I think Argentina, England, while it would have been interesting, would have been a, a slugfest. Yeah. Uh, I, England, you know, France is a game I enjoyed a lot. So I figure England moving on would have been a good opponent for anybody. So I'm, I'm good with the English. Yeah, England's very talented. I mean, look, we always look at these things and we kind of look back to look forward, right? We try to look at the history and how it goes together. But I just, you look at a France team that's already won one, so maybe they're going to be a little bit loose. Uh, You look at Messi who needs to win one. And as I tweeted, man, it really looks like Messi wants this and I would hate to be in his way. So yeah, there's just a lot going into it. I think uh, Scaloni is an interesting manager for Argentina and will put together a game plan. Whereas I think Deschamps pretty much knows what he wants to do, but he has the best talent from top to bottom. Uh, yeah, it's it's fun. I think this is what you want. As much as it would have been interesting to have Morocco in the final, what happens if Morocco gets to the final and they just get killed? 4-0, 4-1. Then that's not so much fun, right? And then on the flip side, if we got France-Croatia again? Now it, I, I was trying to – because I picked Croatia to win. I was trying to grab my – grasp my head around the same final, France-Croatia in four years, because it feels like no time had gone by, right? You're like, yeah. wait a minute, it's the same final. You want – I mean, there's not a lot of variation in World Cup finals if you look at through it. It's the same ten flags, twelve flags, but right. Yeah, the only thing we're missing we're missing a chance for somebody to win their first, which right, is a bummer. But we get someone to win their third. It's always going to be like this. I've re- I've discovered Vince that we think one day we're going to have a USA Japan final or Morocco and uh, Mexico. It's just not. We're we're not getting close to that. It's eight teams have won the World Cup. Maybe two others out there have a shot to win it in the foreseeable future, and that's it. Well, when and that just goes to show you, if you reach the quarterfinals, you reach the top eight in the world, you're doing something right. Only eight teams have ever won the World Cup. Think about that. Think about the history. It's it's pretty incredible to get this far. It's it's a it's an honor. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I don't think anytime soon we're gonna see two absolutely uh, underdogs out of the blue facing off for their first World Cup. I mean. The Netherlands still hasn't won a World Cup, and we everyone keeps talking about them being so talented. So think about it that way. Favorite uh, moment or storyline to come out of this World Cup? Um, it's hard to pick against Messi. It's hard he keeps, to because he keeps doing. I know he. Keep, I know his goals have come from penalties, but what he did outside of those penalties in that Croatia game, just so awesome to see yeah. him like just you know unleash, go into fifth gear, do whatever he wants, uh, just be incredible, and then. On the touching moment, I just still go back to that that moment of Perisic, Perisic's son running to uh, Neymar, who you know Neymar in that moment is thinking, I may never play in another World Cup. Yeah. Uh, and a kid runs out there and he sees the security guard uh, slow the kid down, which is what the security guard's supposed to do. But then he has he has a presence of mind to understand the moment. Uh, and then the kid, who knows what the honestly, who knows what that kid is doing in that moment, right? Like that kid could have been running up there to be like, nah, nah, nah. yeah, like, or that security guard gets him in an arm bar and drops. Right. But just the moment, the reach out and just the the eyes on Neymar, just to see that that kid was it just being so wholesome in that moment. I, I doubt 
That was that was nice. I yeah. mean, those are two things that Brazil had their foot in the semi and they let it go away so easily. I could not believe what I was seeing. I could not believe they worked so hard to get that goal and they just went, just fell asleep. I mean, unforgivable. I mean, that's going to be haunting that team. That Croatia should have never tied that, and they just it, it, yeah. You would say never tied it, but like Max, they Croatia. That that's a well worked. Um, yeah, but the Brazilians right? were lagging. They were walking. Yeah, but, I just they did they did something. They didn't do the rest of the game. I know, but even then, they still get three guys back, and they still deflect it. Like a lot of times, ninety nine percent of the time, that ball does not go in the back of the net. Like I think what it really says to you is that's just tournament football. Yeah. it's like all Fair. the things that we think we want, we think we deserve. No, you don't get anything you deserve. It's going to happen the way it's going to happen. By the way, one of my sneaky little stories that I enjoyed was Van Hall. And we talked about him, but the fact that he was, uh, he put a game plan in and a Dutch team that was really not that talented. Some of the guys they bring off their bench, like, wait a minute, Veghorst and Janssen. I go, who are these guys? Mm -hmm. But he was able to have this great innovator, have one last run. The free kick against Argentina was my favorite moment. That you know, he something out of the training ground that worked. Uh, you saw this mastermind um, puff out his chest and almost get the Dutch to where they've never been, mm -hmm. win a World Cup. I mean, it, and he, it, he's going through a lot as well. And you wonder, yeah, you wonder uh, how you wonder how much it pays. cancer for the third time. Yeah, I mean, he may not how, be with us very long. Right, and you wonder how, like he's suffering, but he is. Well, Max, what I, I I'm wondering how much it might have pained him to go. All right, throw on the two big lads and let's just hit the ball in the air because that's yeah. not his style of football. But he's no. like, well, we got to roll the dice. This is what we're doing. And it worked. Who wins on Sunday? Uh, Argentina. I agree. Two to one. Uh, Argentina. And I think the big story, too, and it's going to become a bigger story. It's, we talk about Messi, but that he found this running mate in Julian Alvarez who has just been phenomenal. So that could be a big one. Vince LaRosa, 110 football. We'll catch up with you very soon. Thanks for joining, man. Really good stuff. I love your takes. Really smart, well thought. Soccer OG World Cup Daily. Check it out where all podcasts are available and right here on YouTube for the video form. We will be back rest of the week before we put a bow on the World Cup. See you tomorrow.